This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to the Post Media Hockey's podcast. Oh, I butchered that, didn't I? The Post Media Hockey podcast. Off the post, I'm Paul Chapman, joined by our national hockey writer, Mike Krakos. Mike, how are things in the NHL for you this week? Yeah, they're pretty busy. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, Paul, I don't know about you, but it seems like I got one eye on the games and one eye on that impending trade deadline. And it's creeping up fast now with February 25th just around the corner. And I'm still waiting for that big trade to happen. Like right now, it's just the, the Jake Muzzin deal uh, I thought was going to you know, open up those floodgates, but it seems like everyone is just sort of waiting on what Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone, uh, what their situation is going to be like in Ottawa. And if either of those guys gets moved, I think that's going to be the first domino that sort of falls. But uh, yeah, let's see. I, I'm, I'm sort of loving the race, though, out in the West. And I'm sure you guys in Vancouver are loving it as well. Yeah, so that's just to let people know as they listen to this podcast, that's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll talk about trades in our final period. In the middle period, we will talk about the playoff races. And we're going to start on your suggestion, Mike, which is a good one, um, on McDavid and Crosby. And the reason that, I mean, obviously every time these guys meet, this is what we talk about in the NHL is the star power and the, you know, the matchup of the marketable personalities. But, you know, when you look at how so-called one-sided this rivalry has been um should should edmonton fans be alarmed about the the happiness of Connor mcdavid and a team that seems to be going nowhere mike i would be and i come from this from a perspective of i didn't think that we'd ever see john Tavares traded never mind traded to toronto i was one of those guys that when i heard the chatter i was like here we go again you know what any local boy comes up on free agency, uh, we think that he automatically wants to go to the Leafs. And like Stamkos, it just wasn't going to happen. But you know, the reason why it did happen, you know, aside from the fact that this kid had like Toronto Maple Leaf jammies in <laughs> bed sheets that had Leaf logos on them, was the fact that the Islanders gave him no reason uh, to resign there. Um, you know, he didn't see that the team was going to be in a playoff spot this year. No one did. All he knew was that during his eight or nine years there that the team was horrible. Um, didn't win a playoff round, barely made the playoffs. And I think if you're looking ahead to um, Connor McDavid's situation right now, if I'm Connor McDavid, I'm saying to myself, is this really what I signed up for? Is this the, re- is this the kind of team that I thought I was kind of going to be on in the foreseeable future? And you know, you watch, I watched that game on Wednesday night, Paul. I don't know if you're watching it as well, where Pittsburgh and Edmonton, um, locked horns and you know what this should be a marquee matchup and I know it got national attention but you know it wasn't the Ovechkin Crosby matchup um, that we always see and it, it should be this should be old guard versus new guard Crosby versus McDavid uh, the Penguins that have won three cup against the, the Oilers that are soon to be 
uh, a dynasty team, except that it wasn't any of those things. It was Connor McDavid, who's obviously one of the top three players in the league this year, arguably the, the best player in the world right now against Crosby, but it was also uh, a huge chasm between uh, a team that still looks like a Stanley Cup contender in Pittsburgh against an Oilers team that looks like you know, it's due for another rebuild. And that's sad in my mind. It's not just sad for the Oilers, but it was sad for just a hockey fan watching that game, kind of really hoping to see an actual battle. So you're 100% right on that. Um, but again, I, I look at this, and, and let's be clear, there's been no suggestion that Connor McDavid is unhappy. I'm sure he's unhappy with where the team is, but that he's unhappy in Edmonton or that he's angling for a move. He's this so-called good Canadian kid. Uh, did a podcast before Christmas with Jim Matheson, who talked about McDavid and his, you know, at the time saying that's not in his makeup. He's not like this. He wants it to work here. Um, but I look at it. You're absolutely right. The Oilers are six points out of a playoff spot. They've already fired another coach. They've already changed the GM. You know, he's in his fourth season. In his fourth season, Crosby won his first cup, but he'd already been to the finals once. And you could, and yes. Malkin worked as well, but McDavid has been there with this other collection of first-round picks. I know you said you didn't see it with Tavares, but from what you know of Connor McDavid, like at what point is enough enough for him? Like, do you think we get to a situation where he he asks to be moved? So here's the thing, Paul. Okay, so Mario Lemieux went a number of years, like much longer than McDavid's gone, much longer than Tavares has gone before the Penguins were good. The thing was is the league was so different then. Like you could be an impact player at 35, um, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, right now, I think there's an urgency. And I'm not saying that Connor McDavid wants out or anything. I'm just going to talk about just general terms. There's an urgency, I think, amongst the youth in the NHL right now where they're saying, I better, you know, maximize on my dollar amounts. I better win some Stanley Cups. I better get what I need to get done before I turn 25 or at least uh, 28 years old, because you know what? Let's, let's face it. Um, you're considered past your prime earlier than you were before. And we kind of marvel at uh, how Sidney Crosby is still an impact player at what is he 33 years old now? Is something around there um, before 33 wasn't old. Now it is. So if I'm Connor McDavid, I'm going, um, looking at the situation in Edmonton and saying, okay, we're still probably two or three years away from getting this thing turned around. Well, those are wasted years. And I don't know if Connor McDavid is in a position to waste those years because we're talking about a guy that should be up there with the Gretzkys, the Lemieux, the Crosbys. But why those guys, like why Gretzky, Lemieux, and Crosby are lauded over, it's not just because of their individual accomplishments, it's because they're on winning teams. It's the same reason why. We look at Tom Brady differently than we do like a Peyton Manning or a John Elway um, or Dan Marino. Like, winning championships matters, and it matters because this is a team game. And right now, I can't see any kind of situation where the Edmonton Oilers are going to be turned around by next season and be a championship contender. This, uh, I would put Vancouver ahead of them now in that sort of evolution. Uh, definitely Calgary's past them in that evolution, and maybe even Montreal as well. So. It, it, that's the sad part is that, you know, as good as Connor McDavid's been, uh, regardless of how many scoring titles and MVPs uh, this guy wins, you know, without a championship or even a sniff of a championship, it feels like he's getting shortchanged. 
Well, absolutely right. When you look at the greats of the game, we tend to remember, remember mostly the playoff moments. 100%. And he hasn't even had an opportunity to go on on a big run and you know be in the contender for the for the uh, you know the Con Smythe th- those major awards and accomplishments. I mean, th- there's so many games on TV now. Is people are in and out. The landmark moments in the NHL now are all in the playoffs. That's when everyone watches. And you know, again, uh, I'll take your counsel on this. Um, if you look at how the NHL is today, I think it's the ease of players changing teams. You're absolutely right about Mario Lemieux, but you knew that team was making progress towards something, and there were very little ways out. I'm an old guy. I remember Guy Lafleur basically when he wasn't being paid what he wanted in Montreal. He said he would sit out, and they were like, "Fine, you can sit out the rest of your career." Until he finally had to come back in. Players have more power now, and they can go. And we talk about copycat leagues all the time. The NBA does this. Mm-hmm. Collection of stars want to play together. Um, would it be more likely that you know whoever is actually given the reins in Edmonton says, "Look." I could get an absolute windfall for Connor McDavid, or does Connor McDavid perhaps one day just look at running down his contract and saying, "I'm going to do." I know you, you know, there are tools GMs can use, but I'm going to try and force my way out of this team because the indication seems to be that that's not in his makeup. Yeah, and I don't think it's in his makeup. Like you got to remember, as a junior, this guy had exceptional player status, and still from Newmarket to uh, Erie um, is a long drive, especially when you're an underager. And he had no problems going to Erie, who were, was the worst team in the Ontario Hockey League at the time and didn't look like it was going to get its act together. And um, he stuck it out there. And all indications, this guy is going to stick it out in Edmonton. But uh, to your point, I agree with you. I think players are, uh, in the NHL, kind of taking a page uh, from the NBA and definitely taking a page from John Tavares. Like, um, and they're, you know, they're in a position now to wield more power. And I think they are, we're seeing sort of, um, the effects of that this year. Like, look at what's coming down the pipe in free agency. Our Tammy Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, potentially Matt uh, Stone and Matt, or sorry, Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, just to name a couple players um, who are going to July 1st to, in any other year, would have been locked up by now. Um, so, you know, talking to players around the league at the beginning of the season, I asked them, what was the effect of John Tavares going to free agency? And they said, you know what? This guy's a trailblazer. You know, it, before you would never think of leaving your team, especially being a number one pick um, in the prime of your career and saying, I'm going to entertain for agency. You, you're almost a pariah. How could you do that now? Now that Tavares has done it and has come out the other end uh, as a success story, having his best season individually and from a team perspective this year in Toronto, you know, don't, <laughs> don't be surprised if more players this year go down that route and in the coming years go down that route. And it's not... They're not considered selfish. It's just that, you know what, they've got every right to do it, and finally players are exercising that right. So if I'm a GM or a team owner, I'm going to be very, very concerned that if I don't have my uh, ducks all lined up, that you know, the player who I drafted number one overall or in the top three position, if I'm not showing him that uh, he's got a good chance to win, I'm going to potentially lose that guy. And you know what, um, you're for, you know, all the blame goes to the owner in that situation. So... Uh, the onus is on those teams to kind of get their stuff together or else they're going to lose their star players quicker than they think. So you're absolutely right about the Canucks when it comes to the Oilers. They're four points better than them, than them right now. But I look at the Canucks and, you know, they did. fans lament that they haven't had the number one overall pick in the draft lottery. They got Elias Pettersson at, at number five. And, you know, Brock Besser has helped as well. He's a mid-round first pick, first-round pick. 
this is an unfair question, but too bad. <laughs> what do the Oilers <laughs> need, Mike? Like, what would you, if you, like, who would you put in charge to turn this around? And what do they need to do with that roster? Like, is, is it, is it patience and add with maybe a piece here and there, maybe go after some free agents because this is a big class? Or do they need to blow it up and make some significant moves? Because when they tried that with Taylor Hall, that just blew up in their face. Yeah, you know what? The guy I would hire right now is Mark Hunter, and uh, who's obviously the GM and co-owner of London Knights. Leafs brought him in at a similar juncture in their career, or in their sort of development, where they didn't have much in the cupboard in terms of prospects. This guy has, you know, really, I think him and Lou Lamorello and Kyle Dubas, obviously it was a three-prong attack, but when you're talking about the draft success of the Leafs, all fingers always point to Mark Hunter in terms of you know, drafting a guy like Mitch Marner, but also finding Travis Dermott in the later rounds, uh, finding a Casper, or sorry, not a Casper Kapanen, but an Andreas Janssen in the seventh round. That's what the Oilers are sort of missing. Like, I think it's easy. Uh, any of us could find a top five pick. Um, all you have to do is just look at the draft board and see who's, um, who's everyone's talking about. But it's the guys in the second, the third, and the fourth, and the fifth round that that's where the challenge comes in. And the Edmonton Oilers, like you look at their draft history, they haven't done a good enough job of finding uh, those later round picks. I think like Oscar Clefbaum and a couple others, the only guys who are making sort of impact um, who weren't uh, like a top 10 pick. So um, I would hire Mark Hunter. I would let him sort of uh, build that prospect pool back up. And, you know, I, their hands are really tied, Mark, in terms of, or sorry, Paul, in terms of, uh, trades that you can make like no one's taking Milan Lucic off their hands maybe you can find a buyer or a taker for Cam Talbot because every team seems like is in need of a goaltender uh, yeah, at least a backup goaltender but you know, they just have so much tied up uh, under the cap where it's going to be real hard to kind of um, change that team dramatically without really kind of taking a chance and having a couple of trades blow up in your face so Unfortunately for Edmonton Oilers fans, I think a patient approach is the best way to do it. And uh, the best way to do it is to kind of go through the draft. Man, I, I wonder if the fans uh, or even Connor McDavid have the patience to go through another complete rebuild. I mean, maybe they get lucky if they don't make the playoffs and they end up with uh, Jack Hughes. I know that would make the rest of the NHL a little bit queasy seeing how many times they've got the number one pick. But man, I tell you, I don't know what they have to do in Edmonton. Well, we'll leave the Oilers talk there. Uh, and we'll come back for the second period where we'll talk a little bit about the playoff races. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10-3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10-3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to Off the Post, Post Media's hockey podcast. Mike, um, you've had your eye on the standings for a while now. As you said, we're sort of waiting to see which teams want to make a big move with regards to some trades and trade rumors. We'll talk about that in the final period. But really, I know the East and the West are a little bit different. There's still jockeying going on in the East. But in the West, it's sort of like, who really wants those last playoff spots? It's crazy. And you guys must be loving it in Vancouver because... You know, like if the Canucks are in the East, there's no way that you're talking even playoff spot. You're looking at probably selling a lot of assets at the deadline. But, you know, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, even the Edmonton Oilers, I don't know how you can be in a seller's mode 
when you're still theoretically in the playoff spot. And how hilarious as it sounds, like the Anaheim Ducks just fired their head coach and you know put their GM behind the bench. And, you know, all indications is that this team is definitely headed towards a draft lottery pick. And then they win last night against the Canucks. And you're going, geez, they're not that far out of it. You know, a little winning streak here of uh, four or five games, and this team could be in a wild card position. It, it really is crazy. And uh, the craziest thing is what's happened in St. Louis. Like January 1st, this was the worst team in the Western Conference. Well, I think they've got a game in hand on Dallas, and they're only a point out of being the third best team in the Central Division. So, you know, they, Maybe this is a good thing for the NHL. In my mind, it's sort of an embarrassing thing, the fact that uh, as much parity as you have, it's not good parity. Like, all these teams shouldn't be a playoff team. But here we are with, what, two months left in the season, and it's really anyone's game. I, I do find it fascinating that, you know, go way back again, play the old guy card. This, I, th- I believe it was the first time the San Jose Sharks made the playoffs as an expansion team. Um they, they beat the Red Wings for the number eight seed, and that was such a shock. It hadn't happened forever. Well, now it happens, I don't want to say regularly, but you know, I remember the year the Kings won the Cup and they'd knocked off the Canucks, and the Canucks had won the President's Trophy, and the Kings were the eight seed, and everyone in Vancouver was up in arms. But the way the NHL has evolved, you can kind of see teams the way that you talk about parity. The 16 teams that got in, if the right one got hot at the right time, you could see them winning the Cup. You may be able to make that argument in the East. You certainly can't make it in the West. And as you said, Mike, it's embarrassing. I don't, this is the thing. Whoever gets in the playoffs, there's something to be said. For, and I know the Canucks brain trust will, will preach this. They'll say, you know, we want the experience of being in games that matter late in the season. The playoff experience would be great for these players. It used to be if you got in the playoffs, you never know how far you can go. But I don't think you can say that in the West. I think if you look at the bottom two or three teams in the West, they do not have enough quality to pull off an upset even in the first round. No, you're right. And I was talking with uh, Canucks GM, Jim Benning, about this yesterday where I asked him, uh, are you a buyer? Are you a seller? Uh, what are your thoughts about getting guys like Pedersen, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and even Jake Vertanen, who's, we forget, this guy hasn't had a taste of the playoffs uh, since he's been a Canuck. Um, is there some sort of benefit of just kind of getting in there and getting that experience? And, you know, surprisingly, he said, you know what? This is the experience of just being in a playoff race, and he's not willing to make a move just to get in there because um, I think he's aware that this team is not, um, like you said, it's not a Stanley Cup contender. I don't think that you take the Canucks over uh, the Winnipeg Jets or Calgary Flames at this point uh, if they are going to have to go an eight versus one sort of scenario. Um, and you know what? Maybe that's even dem- more demoralizing for a young team is getting swept in that first round. Maybe there is no benefit to that. So um, it, it is kind of interesting to see how teams will approach it because, you know, on the one hand, maybe you're one or two players away from making that jump into the eighth spot. But, you know, if you're going to be swept, uh, is there a benefit? And uh, the Canucks are an interesting team because, you know, as you know, like Vancouver is hosting the draft. And, you know, Benning told me again, and I think he's told a lot of people this, is that, you know, they don't want to give up that first round pick just because they are hosting the draft. And um, it wouldn't be a good look, he doesn't think, for the fans that you, know, you pay all this money to show up to the draft and your team's not picking to the second or third round. So uh, that's one thing to kind of keep an eye on. The other thing to kind of keep an eye on is that, you know what, how many teams are sort of under that pressure, uh, like in Arizona or like in Edmonton, where ownership is saying, you know, we watched what happened with Vegas last year. Um, 
how come that can't happen here? How many years am I going to have to wait around and miss the playoffs um, while you keep selling, while the GM and the coach keep selling on a rebuild and on patience? Where, you know what? I think more owners are becoming impatient. And I think that's why we've seen so many head coaches fired this year. A, you're still in it. So a head coaching change can make the difference between missing or making the playoffs. But B, there's just that impatience where, you know, if you're not getting it done, well, let's move out and let's move on and uh, let's get a guy that can kind of get us in there. Because, like I said, with Vegas kind of going into the playoffs as uh, in the year one, I think a lot of owners are not really kind of taking that whole let's sit back and wait approach. When we do look at the West, I think, you know, you're still looking at, at Nashville and Winnipeg being, you know, teams that we thought at the start of the year would really compete for a Stanley Cup. I think they're still there. Obviously, Vegas has has put together a very solid stretch after a bit of a, a rocky start. Um, Calgary cooled off a little bit, but I think they've proved that they're going to be a handful for anyone in the playoffs. The team I wanted to talk to you about was San Jose. Now, this is a team that didn't get off to a great start. I know you wrote this week about the debacle in the Canucks goal that ended up with, you know, emergency junior goalie uh, Mike DiPietro being thrown to the Wolves. But man, San Jose looked awesome. Part of that was how bad the Canucks were on defense. It was not DiPietro's fault, per se. But the Sharks, to me, look like they're starting to turn it up a little bit. Or a lot, I should say. Yeah, you know what? Uh, that Sharks team, uh, they've got the experience. Let's face it, Mark. Or sorry, Paul. Why do I keep calling you Mark? I think I got on the Mark Hunter uh, train here now. I keep calling you that. Yeah. But, uh, Paul, like, that team's got the experience. Like, when you look up and down the roster, um, that window of opportunity probably is closing. Uh, when you look at guys like Thornton uh, and Pavelski, even Brent Burns is getting up there in age. Um, so, you know, that's a dangerous team in my mind once the playoffs roll around. And you know, they were slow starting. Uh, I think part of the reason was Martin Jones, but... I'm with you. If I'm, you know, if I'm coming up with my five teams to watch uh, in terms of Stanley Cup contenders uh, out of the West, it's San Jose, Winnipeg, and probably Nashville are my three teams. And um, San Jose, I don't see any holes in their lineup. They've obviously got the defense, but even Evander Kane, the way he's firing the puck these days, um, I, I like everything about them. And they're three lines deep. And how many teams are three lines deep these days? Um, so it, it's a pretty formidable uh, team right now they're on uh, a crazy streak where they don't seem to be losing any games and whenever they go to overtime they seem to be pulling rabbits out of their hat so uh, I really do like the the Sharks and the way that they're sort of built right now. So I know that the deal to bring Carlson in was thought of initially as a short-term thing are you hearing anything about how happy he is there or what his long-term plans are? I talked to him at the trade or sorry at the all-star break and he seemed happy. Uh, obviously, the All-Star game was in San Jose, so he was put on a happy face. But, you know, like, everyone I talked to, and I've been around that team quite a bit because I covered them in the playoffs a couple years ago, but they just seem to have a great sort of dressing room and atmosphere around the team where it's not a hockey-mad market, and yet, you know, the hockey players are still treated a bit like royalty around that area. Um, they sell out games, which is good, so it's not like you're not in a hockey market where you're not drawing fans. Like you're selling out games and yet you can still have your anonymity uh, around, um, around that Bay area because well, let's face it. It's still uh, uh, the uh, uh, what's it called the, the basketball team there um, is still kind of the Kings of that market. So it's, I think it's a great position for a player to be in. 
Uh, ownership there is great. The dressing room is very loose and relaxed. I think whenever you've got Thornton and Burns in a dressing room, it cannot be anything but relaxed. So um, I know the Sharks are desperate to want to sign Carlson. Um, but right now, I'm not, I'm not hearing any chatter as to if it's going to happen um, in the next couple of weeks or not. So we've talked a lot about the West before we move on to our final period. Just to, your thoughts on the East race a little bit. I know, um, again, if you look at those teams in the wildcard position, certainly Pittsburgh, you're looking at a team that may finish with the, the last seed that actually has still has a shot to win the Cup. So scenario in the East a little bit different. You Carolina and Buffalo hanging around there, but the Flyers are red hot. I mean, their last 10, they look great. And when you talk about young goaltenders, Carter Hart's been spectacular. Um, what, are you, what are you expecting in these last few weeks of the East? Are, we, are they pretty cemented in? Do you expect an outsider to come in? And who do you think's in danger of maybe dropping out? You know, I, I almost feel like the way that the standings are today, um, with maybe some juggling, maybe Pittsburgh doesn't, um, maybe they end up edging uh, one of the teams and ends up uh, in the top three position in their division. But... I don't see Carolina, Philadelphia, or Buffalo edging out any of those teams. The only team I could see maybe a bit susceptible is Montreal. But at the same time, the way Carey Price has really found his game and the way that their forwards are producing, I don't see them falling out of contention either. So you know, it's going to be um, a tough hill to climb if you're the Sabres or the Hurricanes or especially the Flyers to get into a playoff spot. Uh, obviously, it could happen, but... Um, barring an injury um, to either or, or maybe even a trade like if Columbus Blue Jackets if they decide to move on from Panarin and Bobrovsky or even one of those players maybe that could be enough where a team like the Hurricanes sneak in but I almost feel like the way that things are kind of set uh, it's going to be set in stone right now. You're absolutely right with Columbus we'll come back and talk about them and start off our trade rumors in the third period we'll be right back with that in a moment. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10-3 Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10-3, Canada's news covered. Welcome back to Off the Post, our post-media hockey podcast. Mike, let's just pick up where we left off, talking about the Columbus Blue Jackets. What's in your mind? And it's, it's such a weird situation. You're, you know, you were spot on in the last segment. I think if you're looking for a team to target, Columbus is on the fence here. You can make an argument that Maybe if they went out and sold the farm and brought in some pieces, this might be a year to go for it. But on the whole, I don't think you look at this team and say, you're going to stand pat and have a good chance to win the Stanley Cup. So maybe you do look at reloading and moving those pieces that will make you a, a more serious contender uh, in, the, in the more immediate future, maybe next season, season after, season after that, perhaps. What's the power structure there in Columbus? Who's really going to make that call? We all know about the personality of John Tortorella and how he's very unforgiving in terms of, or uncompromising, I should say, in his philosophy. What do you think the conversations are in the back rooms in Columbus? Columbus is such a unique situation in the sense that that's a smart market. Like The hockey fans there understand that if you're going to keep Anarin and Bobrovsky just to make the playoffs, and you're going to lose them after going out maybe in the first, second round, or theoretically after winning the Stanley Cup final, uh, that's a huge price to pay. So you better be a Stanley Cup favorite or at least a contender 
if you're going to keep those guys and potentially lose them on July 1st for nothing. So like I said, that's a smart market. And if I'm a hockey fan in Columbus, the thing I'm asking myself is, is that a playoff team? Yes. Is that a Stanley Cup contender? The answer is emphatically no. So if they're not a Stanley Cup contender, I don't know how you can hang on to both guys um, after the trade deadline and really say, okay, we're just going to roll the dice and take our chances. Like that is, you can't do that. Not in today's market. I know you save a lot of money under the cap, but Columbus is also a team that not a lot of free agents really clamor towards going to in the off season. So in my mind, Yarmo Kikaline and their GM really has to, you know, pull this bandaid off and say, you know what, we're going to have to trade Panarin because he's dead set on not wanting to resign and, potentially also trade Bobrovsky because it looks like he's also going in the summer as well. And if that's going to result in you missing the playoffs, well, so be it. You know, the draft picks and prospects that you're going to get back for those players is going to be better than, you know, at a first round exit or a second round exit in my mind. So that's a difficult situation. Obviously you don't want to be in that situation, but that's the situation that the Columbus Blue Jackets find themselves in. And you know what, heading into July or February 25th, they're going to have to make that move where you're saying, and we're taking our best forward and our best goalie, and it's going to result in potentially us missing the playoffs, but it's going to make us a better team in the long run. Do you see any obvious landing spots or suitors for the, either of those guys? I mean, I know, you know, trading for a goalie before the playoffs, it's more often through a, for a depth move rather than bringing in a new starter, but do you see real suitors that are going to be going hard to Carol or to, uh, to Columbus for those players? The goaltending one is real difficult. Like Bobrovsky's got a history in Philadelphia, but you're right. You don't get a whole lot for goaltenders at the deadline. Um, the ones that are moved are usually backups or guys that you get like a second to fourth round pick for. And if that's the case, maybe Bobrovsky is a guy that you say, let's just hold on to him. But Panarin, there's going to be suitors lined up for this guy. Um, and maybe even suitors that aren't necessarily playoff teams. Like, LA Kings have been sniffing around Panarin, and there's a short list of teams that he would love to re-sign to, um, including the New York Rangers. So look for the Rangers, the Islanders, the Kings, uh, amongst all the usual candidates like the Boston Bruins, who could definitely use some more scoring up front now that David Pasternak's uh, out of the lineup with an injury. So um, I almost get the feeling that a lot of the trade uh, moves that we haven't seen so far are being held up, not just because of what Columbus may or may not do, but also because Ottawa and they're holding a lot of chips with Duchesne, Mark Stone, and Ryan Dezingle. You know, you talk to the GMs around the league. I know you're always having to, you know, pull on your decoder ring to figure out really what they're trying to say. But do you get a sense from any particular GMs out there that they're going to be aggressive and they're going to, they're not afraid to really make a very bold move in order to better their team's fortunes? Yeah, the, the team to watch right now. And they almost seem to be the team that you're always watching whenever trade talks kind of ramp up are the Nashville Predators. Um, David Poyle loves to make big, splashy moves. And when I'm looking at that team, they've got all the elements to be a Stanley Cup winner. The only thing that they might be missing is some scoring up front. Now you take away Philip Forsberg and the Ryan Johansson line, and there's not a whole lot of secondary scoring uh, in Nashville. So you know, I, I look to them. Uh, as a potential fit for Matt Duchesne, who, you know, a, a year ago when he did get moved, um, there was talk of him going to Nashville. So I imagine the Predators are going to reopen that talk again, especially if 
Duchesne is going to be one of those guys available. The other team that I'm always kind of looking towards is Pittsburgh. Like, how many more years do Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel and Latang have to be Stanley Cup contenders? Like, that window should be closing in the next couple of years. So, you know, Jim Rutherford uh, loves making those kind of moves as well. He's already made a number of um, big impact trades already, but um, the way that the Penguins are situated right now, I still think that they're one or two moves away from being that Stanley Cup contender. So, in the East, I'm looking at Pittsburgh. Out in the West, it's Nashville. And obviously, Boston's going to be in the mix as well. Toronto. Um, I imagine Winnipeg's looking for a number two center uh, where Patrick Line has got someone to feed him the puck uh, like he did last year when they got Paul Stastny. So those are just a few teams that you really have to keep your eye on in terms of movers or shakers. What do you think is going to happen in Washington? I mean, obviously, you win a Stanley Cup. Maybe the hunger's not there so much. They're comfortably in a playoff spot, but kind of you know, bopping along in it, in it, I don't want to say mediocrity, but they're certainly not on any great role. Do you think that the Capitals are happy to just try and flip the switch when they get to the playoffs, or do you think they might try and bring in another piece? That's a difficult one, Paul, because, you know, I don't have the, I don't have their roster in front of me or their trade history in front of me, but I believe they've given up a number of first round picks over the last few years where, you know, if, if, if that team is getting older, you're going to need some prospects to kind of replenish, um, replenish some bodies on the roster and kind of move forward similar to what San Jose has been able to kind of constantly do throughout the year. So I wonder if they're kind of going to be in a almost stand pat mode and just hope that whatever worked last year with basically the same roster minus a couple of secondary pieces that got moved out in the summer is going to be good enough once crunch time comes around and um, this team is kind of gearing up towards the playoffs. Um, so I, I wonder if they're, if, if they make a move, it's just going to be a depth move where you don't have to give up a first-round pick or uh, a top-end prospect because, uh, let's face it, like if, if Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and Holpe and Carlson were good enough to win you a cup, well, why, why can't they do it again this year? Well, yeah, and, and I think you were, we talked on this a, a couple of weeks ago. The, you know, the Tom Wilson player, the Ryan Reeves, the James Neal, you know, that may not be, they may not be setting the world alight in the regular season, but that kind of player who can play is not going to be a liability, but add that heavy muscle in the playoffs, that seems to be almost as valuable as a, as a first-line center as you head into the playoffs. Yeah, and you know what? Washington scares me a bit because I know they haven't been playing their best hockey. Um, something doesn't seem right there. But at the same time, I wonder if they're just kind of laying low and saying, you know what, we'll bring everything that we need to bring. We know how tough that playoff line is. Uh, well, let's save it for the second week of April and then everything will sort of come together. Like Pittsburgh's been you know, typical of that sort of model for a number of years where you're going, yeah, Pittsburgh, a Stanley Cup contender. I just don't see it. And then the playoffs kick around and whatever reason, those guys flick that switch because they know what to do once the postseason grind comes around. And I wonder if Washington is in the similar mold where you know, Tom Wilson knows that he can't put his body through what he He's going to be putting it through uh, once the playoffs come around, so he's sort of saving it. And same thing with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. And Kuznetsov is one of those guys that you look at his stats this year, and it's very disappointing in terms of his goal production and point production. At the same time, are you really thinking this is going to be the kind of player we're going to see in the postseason? Like, I imagine that he knows what he needs to do, and it's only a matter of time before it actually comes out and he starts showing it. Well, it's great stuff this week, Mike. We'll leave it there. I know you've got stories to write today. I want to thank everyone for listening. You can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, listen every week, give us a rating. 
And until next week, we'll let Mike go and talk to GMs, talk to the players, and gather all the gossip from around the NHL. And next week, trade deadline, we'll hopefully have a lot more to share with you. So thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you next week.